Hey everyone, my name is Maggie Tang. And I'm Elena Cho. And welcome to Gourmand, a show set on empowering the next generation of food lovers and leaders. Episode 2 of the restaurant series is with Buda Lo. Originally from Australia, he's the executive chef at Huso in New York City, a fine casual caviar restaurant located inside Marky's Caviar Retail Shop on the Upper East Side. Today we're chatting with Buddha about kitchen cultures around the world, winning the cook battle at the number one restaurant in the world, 11 Madison Park, and creating dishes with all things caviar. Let's dig in. Welcome to the show, Buddha. Hi, how you doing? So great to have you on the show. Um, so we wanted to start by talking about your upbringing. Where did you grow up and when did you kind of figure out that food was something you wanted to pursue as a career? Of course, so uh, it all began in Port Douglas. Uh, that's where I was born. It's a small town in Australia. It's at the very north uh, part. It's very humid, very hot. Um, so that's where I grew up. Uh, it's a very uh, small small sort of town. Me and my brother were the only Asians there. And um, yeah, we, we it was a is a nice indigenous sort of community that we uh, got brought up in and schools. So that was really cool uh, to see that part of Australia and grow up there. And then um, with the cooking, I started I started working as a server at my mum and dad's restaurant when I was nine years old because I didn't see my parents enough and I wanted to go see them. And then one day, you know, uh, my dad was cooking this omelette inside the kitchen and uh, I was looking over the window and he said, hey, why don't you try it out? And I said, okay, why not? And um, I went in the kitchen, I flipped it perfectly. And then ever since then, I haven't been out of the kitchen. So uh, it all started then. What kind of restaurant did your dad own? So he owned the uh, Chinese restaurant. So it was Cantonese style food. Uh, obviously it's, it was Australianized. I think he's cut it down a lot from the Australianness of it. You know, it's things like chicken and chips and, and fish and chips and all this sort of stuff. Um, and he's focus more on Cantonese but also there's a couple of Australian influences in there but he's, he's a very good he's a very talented um, Chinese chef for sure he's, all the things that pretty much most of my career I learned from him just like things about respecting produce and respecting the, the team around you and making sure that you cook really good food for the people that you work with as well not only the guests because you know they're, they're your biggest critics and and they're all chefs and they're all going to eat your food and it's a good way to practice and, and uh, be confident with what you're cooking. So you mainly cook Chinese food and uh, yeah, I loved every single one of every single thing that he's made. Yeah. Are there any of his dishes that you kind of carried over and still make today? Yeah. So basically I, I, I always do that omelette as a uh, roasted pork omelette. I think in America you call it fuyong. Um, but a little bit different but it, it was a I still do that there's like a lot of dishes that he's like shown me along the way like Singaporean chicken the a lobster lobster fuyong but it's a different style to how you would have it in America but it's it's excellent like and there's like probably the whole menu that I would probably recreate from uh, his restaurant back at home so uh, just to take me back um, so I don't get so homesick yeah no food definitely helps to kind of connect with memory and family like that, for sure. So what was what were kind of the first steps you took as a young person who was looking to to go into food and become a chef? First step, so basically I had to tell my dad that I wanted to become a chef. And I told him that I was at 12 years old. And, he, and um, well, like, you know, after a couple of months of cooking and he said, are you sure you want to do this? It's a very hard profession. You know, you do it if you really want to do it. And so, yeah, I said, yeah, I really want to do it. And from then, I, I, I guess I didn't know what I was doing, but 
I just followed my passion and my passion kind of just leads the way really. Like, I, I don't know what I was doing at the time, but all of a sudden I was starting an apprenticeship at a five-star hotel to wanting to move down to Melbourne, which was, you know, really big food scene, um, which is still a very big food scene right now. And then cook, cook in the best restaurant. So it, it just, um, it just kind of led the way and unfolded just because I really wanted to do it. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember you telling me about how you would enter a bunch of cooking competitions. Was that at this time as well? And like, do you have any stories yeah. or like memorable experiences from participating? Yeah. In so I did, um, I did a couple of competitions when I was a teenager, especially when I was at school. I think a lot of the schools were uh, cooking schools, then also the schools that I attended, they pushed me to do all these like sort of competitions because no one was doing it. And I always got like a pretty good result out of it. So um, I ended up doing a lot of competitions and, you know, lost a lot, won a lot. So I, I, I did it because very, it was exciting. I was a very competitive sort of person in school. I did sports as well. So on the, on the weekends and also cooked. Um, so having a um, competitive uh, sort of format with cooking was kind of like the thing for me then. So I, I did quite a few of them just to push myself, get creative. When you're starting and you're 15, 16 years old, no chef wants you like creating any of the dishes for the restaurant. So you'll be, um, I'll be there sometimes even overnight for some of the competitions, just practicing and and um, like walking out at like six o'clock in the morning and um, going to bed or going straight after school to just do all those practices, competitions. So that really helped with my uh, creativity and menu developing later on yeah and those those hours sound insane I know obviously working in restaurants the hours are crazy were there ever times where you wanted to quit or where those harsh hours you know were really taking their toll there was never a time that I wanted to quit a, the profession as a whole but whether if I wanted to quit at an, at an establishment or a place that I work I think I wanted to quit every single job that I've ever that I ever went into but I never quitted so just because that was super hard, every single place that I chose for me was always a little bit out of my depth and out of my comfort zone. And it took me to a point where I wanted to quit. And every time, um, the first time that I did that was that when I first moved down to Melbourne when I was 17 years old, uh, it was a 230 seater restaurant and it's a two hat restaurant. So the rating system's um, out of three, three hats. Uh, down in Australia and um, I was at a two-hat restaurant and literally got told you know to step up or f off for um, at 17 and you know I was doing the pastry section just uh, me and another person it was yeah it was, it was crazy so yeah, I always think back to that moment because if I decided to leave because I wanted to leave so badly I, I'm just thinking if I would be where I am because I found out when I decided to step up and get through it and I was doing it everything everything just kind of unfolded and just showed that you shouldn't give up even when things are tough uh, and then keep going and that's been the same formula with every sort of restaurant that I kind of join you know I get to a point where I want to quit and uh, I know that you know once I get the hang of it it should all be good and you're going to thank yourself for not quitting yeah it's been the, the, I raised those questions uh, a lot of times when I started a new place. So. It must have been very challenging being only 17 and being in a kitchen, like in a professional kitchen. What drew you to want to pursue kind of the high end of dining rather than 
other aspects of like the restaurant industry yeah so you know i i love all food i just i don't love you know i don't always go for the 17 course places you know i love <laughs> different restaurants chinese low end you know getting it off a food truck or whatnot i thought you know and i still think of this time you know when you're young you have to work in a place where uh will push you out of your comfort zone push you out of your boundaries and I always looked at the top restaurants, you know, what is it? You just Google what's the top restaurant? Well, where is the top restaurant? And the top restaurants will always come up and you'll kind of see like the, you know, the, these sort of one or five, one to five restaurants that just keep popping up. So it just drove me to want to work at these places because I was very passionate about uh, working at the highest level, you know, in terms of cleaning, uh, hygiene, cleanliness, uh, creativity, work ethic. It was always kind of what I always wanted to do. So I know eventually you obviously left Australia. Um, could you talk a little bit about your experiences in different countries and what that was like leaving home? Yeah, so uh, leaving home was probably one of the most horrible experiences I've ever had. It <laughs> was, uh, I had my girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife. We've been we were together for three years at the restaurant that I just left. And um, I remember just like waking up and holding my dog and just crying nonstop because uh, I just know that I wasn't going to see my dog again. And obviously, you know, I can talk to my wife, I mean, my girlfriend, over Rebecca, over the phone, but I won't be able to talk to my dog. You won't understand it. And it was very tough. But like I said, this passion and this drive kind of like drove me out to go to London because it was like my time. I don't know why, but it was just like, it felt right. I was 21 and I knew that I wanted to go overseas and work under work in a Michelin star restaurant and work for some of the best chefs in the world. So I wanted to go try it out and see what it's like. And next minute, you know, you, you left your girlfriend behind, you left everything behind and you're on a plane. And next thing you know, you're looking at all these landmarks in London and going, what have I done? <laughs> I've never been to London in my life. I've just, I'm just here now. And uh, it was a quite a scary moment. It was, it's super scary. I was, you know, I think I was uh, tw 20 years old, oh, no, 21 years old. Uh, and then, yeah, just decided to leave everything and uh, go to London. Wow. Yeah, I mean, you get there and it's kind of like, this is it. There's no turning back, I guess. Yeah, but, you know, there was like many a times where I said, you know, let's, let's go back. <laughs> let's go back. <laughs> yeah, like I said, the, the, the restaurant that I chose wasn't, wasn't the easiest one, that's for sure. So I, uh, I, got, I landed a job at restaurant Gordon Ramsay. Um, I did a couple of trials at a couple of different Michelin star restaurants. Uh, but I, so I kind of said to myself, go, go big or go home. <laughs> Mm -hmm. And so I decided to go big and, um, you know, it was, it was one of the most challenging times of my life, but it was one of the most rewarding times of my life as well. So I made a lot of great friends who I still keep in touch with and uh, I wouldn't change that moment of that, uh, of my career or my life again. You, you know, it was so good. We worked a lot. We worked very long hours, very hard, uh, got disciplined, um, very hard, but I, came out of it a complete different chef to the way I walked in. Wow. Yeah. And it was it like like working in Australia at like a two hat restaurant to moving to one of the best restaurants in London? Like what was that experience like? Was it what you expected? Was it very different from Australian kitchens? Yeah, it was completely different. Um, you know, you you're working with different produce, you're working 
different hours, using different transports. It's it was everything you knew. You kind of just had to like throw in the bin because you just don't know what you just don't know how everything works and and stuff like that. So it was it was a complete change for me. I was probably working double the hours that I was working in Australia every day a week. So in already long hours in Australia. So it was a it was a huge step. Uh, it was it's a it's a different sort of culture of kitchen inside uh inside Europe but I, I I definitely appreciated it and and loved doing doing what I did there so what was the culture like in Europe the people that you that you work with you kind of just attached with you you see them in their worst moments best moments so they become just friends for life you you see them you see them progress you see them go down um so it was a great team to work with because everyone's on the same level. Everyone wants to be there. Everyone's cooking at the same skill level. So it's different to other kitchens where everyone could be on a different page. Maybe someone just is working for money. Some maybe some people are wanting to learn. Here here at these sort of restaurants, they were just like everyone shared the same passion as you. Everyone could talk the same way. Uh, so that's what was brilliant about it. It was like everyone you, you could almost have as your best best friend, just being able to talk to everyone um, and everyone would know what you're talking about. So it was good. And then eventually you made your way over to America. Would you say that was then, again, a whole other sort of kitchen culture? Yeah, so complete different culture in, in America compared to London and and uh, in Australia. Uh, but like, once again, it it's a it's very interesting to see how all the different ones work and pick out a method which works out best for you in in your terms of management skill from seeing different kitchens but uh, it was it was a complete change to what i was used to for sure mm-hmm. and why did you decide to go from being head chef at a restaurant in australia to moving to another country again um to new york so at the time i was i think 26 and i already was head chef in melbourne for two years and there was a time where i just said to myself i don't feel like i've gave my time to learn enough in another kitchen and i wanted to go work at another three mission star restaurant so uh, this was all by um, by chance and luck, and uh, you know the restaurant that I ended up getting the job at was the number one restaurant in the world. And when I replied to them, they just only won it. And I said to them, if they're gonna reply to me after they've just won that, you know they have must have like a stack of resumes um, and CVs. So if I get it, then I'll then I've definitely then then it's a sign that I must go there. Yeah, yeah. And I guess it was a sign. Um, do you have any, you know, memorable moments from your time at EMP? Yeah, for sure. There's, there's a lot of memorable moments, but the biggest one was um, when I went to EMP on my first day. That's when I did my stage, uh, which was a year before I actually started working there. I saw the cook battle. Uh, there's like this paper on this uh, notice board in front of in front of the office, which basically invited all sh- all cooks. It was compulsory to uh, bring up a a menu, a dish item that's gonna go on the next menu for the next season. And uh, I found that so so good because I got a lot of training with my uh, dish development at a at a very young stage of my cooking career. And I thought, like, this is a great way to get people involved in creativity of cooking. 
it's one thing to be able to portion and slice and cut a fish over and over and over again, but it's another way to think about how the guest is going to experience something, eat it, taste it, how they're going to feel about it. So I think it was a great idea to get everyone involved and get everyone's voices heard inside the kitchen, I think is brilliant because, you know, they would have had some of the best cooks in the world come through that kitchen and you won't know what their what their background or what their creativity level's like unless you actually ask them to submit something. So um, winning the cook battle, I won, I won a cook battle one of the seasons while I was there for my year. And I was extremely happy about that because I remember looking at the 11 Manson Park book when I was a when I was like in my teen my, in my teens and just going it's probably one of the most beautifulest books I've ever seen in my life and still probably is one of the most beautifulest books I've ever seen in my life and think that one day um, a couple of years from then from being that young cook to be able to have a menu on a dish was probably one of the greatest achievements and um, and 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 the other one would probably have to be working with my wife and in that kitchen as well. Um, you know, I love it a bit and it was absolutely amazing. Sometimes I get taken back when I was looking at a at a station, just to think that we're both here and we're both working, you know, at one of the best restaurants in the world at the highest caliber. And it's just a proud moment for the both of us. So it, it was it was amazing that they t- took both of us on and yeah, I had a great time there. Yeah, that's amazing that you were working side by side together there yeah it was incredible i loved it yeah and she's super awesome (laughs) shout out to rebecca so can you tell us about that dish that made it onto the menu what inspired it and what did it end up becoming okay so it was a baked cheese but it wasn't really a baked cheese it was a uh, fondue that was a fondue uh, cheese sort of sauce that was set into a panna cotta to make it look like a cheese Mm -hmm. um and it was a it was baked at the table um, this inspiration came from me looking at this guy that was uh, staging for a month uh, from Switzerland and he looked like a ski instructor and the day that he had to introduce himself he said I'm a ski instructor so every day I look at him I, it reminded me of the time that I went to the Swiss mountains there's only one time that I went to these European mountains and it was so beautiful some of the beautifulest uh, things you, you've seen like in, in nature and, um, you know, he was tan, he was dark, but like, yeah, he, he just completely looked like a ski instructor that I saw from that. And um, the next dish was, uh, the next cook battle was for winter. And I decided, I was like, what's, what's, a, what's looking at him makes me think of the cheeses that you'd eat from the snowy mountains and, um, and how tasty it was. And I wanted to create a cheese course um, revolving around a baked cheese or a tartar flat or a or a baked camembert sort of a thing so it was um it, yeah it ended up making it onto the menu with a couple of uh changes to what my original original um plan was but it was unreal watching them unwrap all the copper pans and all the bo- custom made boards for this dish that came as an idea just from looking at this guy um all the way onto you know, also taking it out to the dining room and also serving it myself. Uh, it was, it, it felt really weird. It was, that place really could make your uh, creativity dreams come true there. There's no limit. It was good. I think, uh, yeah, I think someone said, you know, if it, if it's like impossible, then you should try and do it on a the menu. <laughs> so like, okay. <laughs> 
if you come up with an impossible idea, you should most likely try and put that on the menu. So that's what I did and, and it ended up working. So it's good. Yeah, no, I, I can only imagine how cool it would be to see your idea come to life in that big of a way um, and to really see it through from start to finish like that. Yeah, it was, uh, it was, it was incredible. And just like, once again, I was just in awe and in love with that place. And I loved the, uh, I loved everything from, from the moment that I opened that book for the first time. So it was, it was uh, pretty incredible to see this sort of events happen in front of your eyes, like a dream come true. Yeah, definitely. And then, so moving on a little, how did the opportunity then for Huso come along? So I needed a place that needed to, uh, to sponsor me because my wife still had a, uh, another six, six more months to her visa. So I attached to her visa as a uh, partner and um, 11 months park at that time didn't offer any sort of position for me to be sponsored for longer. So I had to find my other ways of um, getting some income. You know, I was looking into private chefing and all this sort of stuff. And all of a sudden, I got an, uh, an email from Marquis Caviar, uh, which is a caviar company since 1983. And uh, they said they're looking for a chef that can do everything with caviar at a small location. And I said, you know, why not? You know, I'm, I'm in New York. Like, I've, I've, it's a, a great opportunity. I, w- I would like to check it out. So I went to go check it out. And from there, it just kind of un- unraveled. Can you tell us a little bit more about Huso for people who haven't heard of it um, and how you got to learn so much about caviar? Were you a big fan before? Yeah, for sure. So um, Huso is, a, um, is one part of the scientific name for beluga sturgeon. So Huso, Huso is the scientific name for beluga sturgeon. So the um, uh, discussions about what the name should be uh, at the start, I said, uh, let's call it Luga, and it, it, w- it was a pretty naughty name on Urban Dictionary, so we didn't end up doing that. Um, so we changed it to Husto, uh, which ended up being better because we're, the company has a sturgeon farm in Florida where they produce the only beluga, straight beluga in the United States since 2003. So to have the name Husto which is connected to Beluga is quite a, quite a big connection right there because we're very passionate about being the only uh, U- United States Beluga company. So uh, it's great that it ties them together. But first of all, I walked into uh, the shop, which was kind of half, half uh, constructed at that point. And I saw there was no kitchen there and I kind of <laughs> scratched my head a bit and went, okay, I didn't think we can do anything there. And then, I told them maybe we could do a tasting menu here as on my way out while when I was walking at the door and they said, Oh, we're very interested in that. And I was like, okay, well, this sounds like something that we can do because I feel like um, a, la, a la carte menus are much harder to do than it is to, um, and cooked everything a la minute rather than having a tasting menu. So uh, we discussed on a couple of different, ways that we can change up the facility, inserting a, um, a professional oven and um, a different couple of things to do with the, the back kitchen. And yeah, it started operating. And um, yeah, we do some pretty nice food at, uh, at Huso. We do a caviar tasting menu at, uh, at nighttime, a one-time seating at seven o'clock. So that's why I can, uh, I can do everything by myself because everyone comes in at once. And yeah, we, we, we used to do up to you know, 14 guests at that point. 
and uh, and we that all come in. We give them the A course caveat testing menu, and and I'll, and I'll be done after that. So it was a it was a really good concept because we're using um, using utilizing the caveat that we have in the fridge, utilizing produce that we sell anyway, so we can either sell it through retail or use it through the uh, through the tasting menu. And it just promotes uh, different ways that you can use the caviar for. We have many, a lot of diners that enjoy the dishes and want to buy the caviar on the way out and utilize it on on a dish that they want to do at home, which kind of replicates it. So yeah, it's a it's kind of like a a nice circular concept. Yeah, definitely. And what would you say is one of your favorite dishes you've created there? There's a there's a lot of favorite dishes that I have on that menu. Um, but the most popular one, I would say, is the one that was on daytime. It made it onto a couple of TV shows. It was a caviar hot dog. I think everyone loves that. It's a uh, Alaskan king crab leg that's uh, inside a toasted brioche bun with avocado, um, mayonnaise, pickled mustard seeds, and blue Venezia caviar. And uh, it, it is delicious. It is kind of, uh, <laughs> sometimes, it is life changing. I, <laughs> I still I still enjoy eating that to this day. So. Yeah, I could vouch for it. It's like one of the best bites I've had in all of New York. Yeah, so good. I'm just yeah. staring at pictures. So. <laughs> so were you always a fan of caviar? How did you get to learn more about it? Did that come with this job? But yeah, most of the most of the things that I learned did come from working at Huso. I learned a lot from that. Um, but most of the um, I, I did work in uh, the caviar station at 11 Madison Park for quite some time. I think it was about five months. So I got to understand the caviar a little bit more. Um, but I, you know, working at high-end restaurants, uh, Michelin star restaurants, you learn, you, you, that's where you get to utilize and see caviar more than just something on a blini or a toast or a potato. So I was very lucky and fortunate in that way. And I feel like, most of the dishes that um, that are my favorite dishes that I've had in my life is, is, is has some caviar in it. You know, if I think about the the, the Michelin star restaurants, um, you know, one of my favorite restaurants per se. The, they have a dish that they've never haven't taken off for a long time, which is called the oyster and pearls, and it's, it's caviar. It's a caviar dish, and it's one of the most best dishes I've had in my life. And it goes the same with working at Lev Madison Park. The sturgeon cheesecake, the eggs benedict they're just incredible like they're just all incredible so i really enjoyed eating caviar and i felt like it was always the highlight of my meal um when i go to most restaurants so it's kind of nice to just be able to do a whole menu based on highlights <laughs> yeah and i think that with you so you get to like as you said try all these different things with caviar and not just serve it the traditional way that it is exactly so different vessels different ways it really makes you think outside the box and sometimes like at this point of my uh creating part of my career it's it's almost came a little bit hard to think of a dish without it because i like it so much on the dish um i think i think it's it it brings like so much purpose onto that and it's and it's extravagant and it looks special and makes it feel makes it special and it also elevates the taste there's a dish that i have it's a, a golden eggs um golden egg creme caramel or flan and we put some golden acetra caviar on top of it and i i can't eat flan or creme caramel again without caviar so <laughs> It's uh, it's a special uh, 
it's a special ingredient that really just elevates it. Yeah. And so starting to wrap up, we wanted to ask if um, obviously our audience is made up, you know, maybe primarily of young people. Um, and we were wondering if you had any advice for students or young people who are looking to enter the restaurant industry or become chefs. Yeah, for sure. So it's probably, it's for, for me, it's been one of the most rewarding things because like I talked to Rebecca, my wife, I just told her like, I'm so lucky that I get up every day and I cook and that's how I'm that's what I do for a living like that's all I do I go back home and I cook and I eat I I go to work I cook and I make money I cook this I cook that so you know if you really love cooking then you should definitely do it but the the biggest um the biggest advice would probably be like from what my dad told me he's not really good at English but like you know he just told me like this is hard if if you want to do it it's hard there's there's no easy way of saying it but like it is a it's a hard industry um i hope hopefully it will get easier but it cooking cooking's a hard thing because it's not just cooking that you have to think about the more that you progress on it's a lot more than just cooking it's it's about you know having to deal with also you know your staff your kitchen staff's mental awareness and and um and and then having to do plumbing and then having to fix all these loose ends and stuff like that so it is it it gets harder but if you if you enjoy the hard like i do then absolutely go for it because i absolutely love every challenge that comes to it um and i i can't i can't stress how much i love it more more than anything so yeah yeah absolutely um and then the last segment we have we call it the quick fire tasting menu it's a speed round so just answer the first thing that comes to mind our first question okay. is what is one kitchen tool you can't live without spoon what is your favorite midnight snack indomie migraine your favorite or i guess you mentioned this but or the huso dish you're most proud of uh i wouldn't say i'm the most proud of making a really good hot dog but uh, i would probably say that one of the one of the most um one of my favorite dishes at the moment is this scallop um scallop boudin blanc with saruga caviar and white sauce it's a, it's a very um very thoughtful dish it's a lot of um thinking power that went into it so in my in my current fridge at home yeah your home um, fridge <laughs> but uh and what's who's one chef that you want to give a shout out to or who's doing something cool that you uh admire in 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 America or the world in the world yeah probably my friend Alan Stewart um he's he's taking over like a very big role that be released later on but uh he's a uh he's a chef that's probably worked in um in in more Michelin stars restaurants than there are stars in the sky so he um he's he's got the dedication and uh and 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 power for, to to go on for everything but you know if it was an outline I'd probably shout out to my dad cuz I missed him yeah no love that um well thank you so much Guda for being on our podcast and it was such a pleasure to speak with you and hear all about your career and all the amazing things you're doing at Huso yeah thank you that's a wrap on our conversation with Buddha Lo from Huso and Marquis Caviar. You can find Buddha on Instagram at Buddha B L A K. And if you're ever in the Upper East Side, be sure to stop by Huso to say hello. As always, you can keep up with all things Gourmand at Gourmand Community on Instagram. 
Signups are still open on our website for Hindsight 2021, What I Wish I'd Known, a two-day virtual event, April 9th and 10th, that's all about empowering the next generation of women looking to enter the hospitality industry by providing them with tools and mentorship. I'm Elena Cho. And I'm Maggie Tang. And this is Gourmand.